من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise him, seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is his slave servant and his messenger uh, we'd like to continue this evening ta'ala with our series of lectures concerning the sharh or explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed الذي هو حق الله على العبيد that is the book of Tawheed, the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over his servants by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab ibn Sulaiman al-Tamimi al-Najdi rahimahullah and this evening ta'ala, in this lecture which is actually the 18th lecture uh, from the beginning of the book we would like to discuss the topic as the author Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah has entitled it Bab Maja'a Anna Sababa Kufri Bani Adam Wa Tarkihim Deenahum Huwa Al-Ghulu Fis-Saliheen and if this chapter is entitled, what has been mentioned, or what has been reported or narrated, Adam, that the reason, in fact it is the main reason, but not the only reason, Adam, the main reason for the kufr, the disbelief of humanity, of the children of Adam, and also the reason for their abandoning, or leaving, or separating, deviating from the true religion وَتَرْكِهِ دِينَهُمْ هُوَ الْغُلُوْفِ الصَّالِحِينَ It is الغلو, exaggeration or excessiveness going beyond the bounds in deen yani the main reason the primary reason why the people deviated from the true religion and why they fell into disbelief الكفر it is because of exaggeration exceeding the limits concerning the righteous, as salihin that means going beyond the limits and praising them and honoring them beyond that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated indeed honoring and respecting and holding in high status the righteous those who are obedient to Allah and those who follow the laws of Allah it is legislated but going beyond the bounds placing them higher than the status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed them in whether from amongst the prophets or messengers or others besides them raising them up to a status beyond what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated for them raising them up to the status as it happened from the Bani Israel as the author rahimahullah mentions in the first of the evidences of this chapter as they went to the extreme in raising up the status of Isa the, the Prophet of Allah Isa alayhi salam to they raise him up beyond the status of a Prophet and a Messenger which is the highest status of a human being Prophethood or Messengership they raised him up to the status of divinity they made him as a god besides Allah and this is al-ghulu exaggeration or excessiveness in deen uh, al-shaykh Abdurrahman 
Ibn Nasr al-Sa'di, rahimahullah, in his brief shot of Kitab al-Tawheed, entitled Al-Qawl al-Mufid, or Al-Qawl al-Sadid, Shah Kitab al-Tawheed, briefly he mentions uh, some words concerning this chapter, as a summary of the explanation of this chapter, he says Al-Ghulu, it is going beyond the boundary, the boundary that has been set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, and making or giving to the righteous those rights which are the exclusive rights of Allah alone. Yani honoring them or respecting them in the way that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be honored or exalted. And indeed, the right of Allah, which no one shares with him in it. The rights of Allah that no one is a partner with him in it. It is al-kamal al-mutlaq, absolute perfection. There's no one that shares with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this characteristic of al-kamal al-mutlaq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who is perfect. Who has perfect, yani who, is, who have reached the level, who, who is on the level of perfection, uh, absolute perfection. وَالْغِنَاءَ الْمُطْلَقِ الْغِنَاءَ الْمُطْلَقِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is described with this that He is the one who is free of need who has no need whatsoever of anything or anyone and He is the only one who may be described with this characteristic of being absolutely without need of anything or anyone and likewise التصرف المطلق that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has He is the only one who absolutely has the right and authority to do whatever He wills in this universe. He is the one who acts as he wills and does whatever he wills uh, without any exception. And finally he says, and likewise, that no one shares with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the right of being worshipped. If we look at these characteristics, al-kamal al-mutlaq, al-ghina al-mutlaq, we will see that these are the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala related to tawheed al-asma wa sifat that Allah is the only one who is perfect. And he is the only one who is free of need. These are absolute characteristics of perfection that belong to Allah alone. And if we look at the third of those characteristics, التصرف المطلق, the absolute authority to act as he wills, this is related to Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. That Allah is the Lord of the world who has power over everything and does whatever he wills. And he is the only one who has this right. And finally the last of them that he mentioned, that al-Ibadah, is, it is the right of Allah alone. No one shares with him in the right to have any ibadah, ibadah offered to them. No worship is to be offered in any way, shape, form or fashion in a small amount or in a great amount to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is Tawheed al-Ubudiyyah or Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. So we can see that these characteristics that Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi rahimahullah has mentioned here, they are the characteristics that are inclusive of the three aspects of Tawheed that many of the scholars have mentioned uh, as the Different, uh, different manifestations of Tawheed, the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat, Allah's names and characteristics that they are perfect and belong to Him alone, the Tawheed of Ububiyyah, that He is the Lord and Creator and the one who has absolute authority over the heavens and the earth, and Tawheed al-Ubudiyah, the right to worship. And finally He said, so whoever, whoever goes beyond the bounds in offering or describing any one of the creatures in any way offering to them any of these characteristics, that are the exclusive rights of Allah alone, then he has equated that person or made them equal to the Lord of the world and this is the greatest type of shirk. Yani this is the greatest shirk. It is not minor shirk. 
It is major shirk. The shirk that takes a person out of Islam and if a person dies on it without repenting from it, then that is the shirk which will never be forgiven. It is the one thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not forgive and He said that anything less than that, anything other than that and everything is less than that, then He might forgive whomever He wills. The first evidence that the Imam mentions, Rahimahullah, of five evidences is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 171 addressed to the people of the book the Christians and Jews Ya Ahl al-Kitab la taghlu fi deenikum Ya Ahl al-Kitab, O people of the book, don't be excessive. Don't go beyond the bounds in your deen. The main point of this chapter is al-ghulu, going to the extremes, going beyond the bounds of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set as the boundaries. Often we find that the people have fallen short. They refuse to worship Allah. They refuse to fulfill the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them. But here we are talking about not those who have fallen short necessarily, but more importantly those who have gone beyond the bounds in the other way, in excessiveness, or going to the extreme. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibits them. Ya al-kitab, la taghlu fi deenikum, wa la taqulu ala Allahi illa al-haq. And don't say about Allah except the truth. Don't lie on Allah. Don't fabricate about Allah. Don't speak about Allah except that which Allah has said about Himself. And don't describe Allah except with that which He has described Himself. Don't name Allah except with that which He has named Himself. And don't do anything as an act of worship for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except in the way and within the bounds that He has set for worship in accordance with the Sharia, with the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The author mentions the ayah to this point, Ya Ahl al-Kitab, la taghlu fi deenikum. But some of the scholars have completed the ayat because of the benefit in what is mentioned after that and from our own standpoint, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, in his book, Al-Qawl Al-Mufid, the Sharh Kitab Al-Tawheed, and he said that he had mentioned the remainder of the ayat because of this reason, for the benefit that it contained related to the subject under discussion. And the rest of the ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا الْمَصِيحِ عِيْسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَكَلِمَتُهُ أَلْقَاهَا إِلَى مَرْيَمِ وَرُوحٌ مِنْهُ That valley indeed, Al-Masih, the Messiah, Isa, the son of Maryam, alayhi salam, that he is the messenger of Allah. He is a messenger of Allah. And he is his word, which he has cast to, to enter Maryam. Maryam. وَرُوحًا مِنْهُ And he is a ruh, a spirit. Yani from amongst the spirits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. When he created the human beings, he created them with a physical body and also a soul and a spirit. And from amongst the spirits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, it is is from amongst them is his prophet and messenger Isa alayhi salam. So he said that indeed he is this and he is no more than that. Innama, verily he is. Innama. He is this and he is no more than that. This is the meaning in Arabic language that it is affirmation of something and also limitation of it to that which is mentioned after Innama. Innama al-Masih Isa ibn Maryam Rasulullah. He is Rasulullah. And this is, it is a refutation of the Christians and the Jews. The fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned Isa salam as a messenger of Allah, as a messenger of Allah. Because the Christians, they went to the extreme and raised him beyond messengership and made him into a God besides Allah. And the Jews denied 
his risala and his uh, nubuwa. They denied him as a prophet and a messenger and they blamed him and accused him and degraded him and belittled him by saying that he was born out of wedlock. So this is a refutation against both of them and these were also two extremes, opposite extremes. One going to the extreme and praising Isa beyond what Allah has made for him as his status as a prophet and a messenger, raising him up to divinity, uluhiyah, and the other degrading him, falling short in the right that he deserves as a prophet and messenger to be honored and respected in that way. So he said, after this, فَآمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُلِهِ So believe in Allah and His messengers. Believe in Allah and His messengers. And I found amongst those messengers is the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who both the Christians and the Jews have rejected even though he was prophesied by their prophets who came to them. وَلَا تَقُولُوا ثلاثة. And don't say ثَلَاثَةَ meaning التثليث. Yani meaning trinity. Don't say this. Allah prohibit them from saying this. This is a lie on Allah. انتهوا خَيْرًا لَكُمْ yani If you stop from going beyond the bounds and from saying such things, lying on Allah by attributing to Him the trinity, it is better for you. At-Tawheed, sticking to Tawheed, it is كُلُّ خَيْرٍ All of it is good. إِنَّمَا اللَّهِ إِلَهٌ وَاحِدٌ Indeed, Allah is only one God. سُبْحَانَهُ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُ وَلَدٌ Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He is far above and far beyond from being described with having a son or otherwise anything other than that yani having need of a son or parentage or companionship or otherwise Lahu ma samawati wa Everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to him He doesn't have need of a son or a wife or a partner because everything in the heavens and the earth is part of his property وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَكِيلًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient as a disposer of affairs. This is the first ayat that the author has mentioned. Uh, and in the explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed by Shaykh Muhammad al-Qara'awi Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. Concerning this ayat, he mentions that the meaning of this ayat is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited the Jews and the Christians from al in the deen, from going to the extreme, from going beyond the bounds in deen. And from amongst, or from that, al is the ghulu of the Nasara, the Christians concerning Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam, as they have raised his status to al-uluhiyya. They raised him up to divinity as a god along with Allah, one of the three gods. And as well, they said he is the son of God and other such exaggerated praise exceeding the bounds and in fact it is lying and it is not only exaggeration but it is also lying in their exaggeration or exaggerated praise of Isa salam. the exaggeration of the Jews in going beyond the bounds is the opposite it's taqsir, falling short in the rights of the prophets and messengers or the righteous, those who should be respected and honored and loved they did the opposite and they degraded them and belittled them and made false accusations against them as he says here they said that he was born out of wedlock so they denied both of them the Christians and Jews they denied the truth and they went to the extreme and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refuted both of them in describing Isa alayhi salam the Risala as a messenger who, who was delivering a message and as a spirit from amongst the spirits which he has created, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, and one of his created beings. Uh, 
And then he said that it is obligatory on them to believe in Allah alone, negating that he has any parent, or that he has any offspring, or that he has any companion, consort or otherwise. And to believe in the messengers, to affirm that which they came with and not to deny them. And to place them in the status that Allah has placed them in and not to go beyond that. And likewise, that they must avoid the false belief of التفليس, the trinity, in which they have, made, they have made Allah into three gods in one. And it is obligatory on them to act upon and to believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is alone in His right to be in worship, and He is the one who possesses and owns everything in the universe. And He is the one who protects and provides for His creatures. From this ayah, the Shaykh has mentioned a number of points of benefit. Yani, his manner of explaining Kitab al-Tawheed is that he first explains the evidence, the ayah or hadith that the Shaykh has mentioned, that the author has mentioned in the original book. He first mentions the evidence, and then he explains that evidence in some detail, and then he mentions the benefits or the points, the rulings or ahkam, or those important things that may be derived from that evidence. And finally he mentions the relationship between that evidence and the chapter under discussion and the relationship between that evidence and the topic of the book itself at Tawheed. So he says from this uh, ayah, there are seven points or seven yani, beneficial matters. The first of them is the prohibition of al-ghulu in the deen. The first of them is that it is prohibited. It is haram for anyone to be excessive in deen. We should be careful of this, because some people are inclined towards excessiveness. Thinking that if you do more, it is better. Doing more is not better if it is beyond the bounds of what Allah has legislated. This is excessiveness, extremism, and it is prohibited. This is the first benefit from this ayat, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed the Ahl Kitab, لا تغلو في دينكم Don't go to the extreme, or don't be extreme, or don't exaggerate in the deen. The second point is the prohibition of speaking according to one's opinion about the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any evidence. Yani the second benefit from this ayat is that it is not permissible for one to speak about the deen based on your own opinion without what you're saying being founded in or based upon a legal yani shari evidence. And this is from the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَلَا تَقُولَ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْحَقِّ And don't say about Allah except Al-Haq, except the truth. That truth which is from the Qur'an or from the authentic Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. The third of them is confirmation of the Nubuwa, the Prophethood of Isa ﷺ and his messengership, Risala. And this is from the saying of Allah, إِنَّمَا الْمَصِيحِ Isa ibn Maryam Rasulullah. That indeed, Isa, the son of Maryam ﷺ, is the messenger of Allah. The fourth of them is that in this ayah's refutation of both the Jews and the Christians, and that's primarily in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Isa is a messenger. This is his true status. Whoever went to the extreme of raising him above that to divinity, or of disgracing him and belittling him and making him less than that, then these are extremes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has refuted in affirming that indeed he is honored to be loved and to be respected as a messenger of Allah and a prophet. The fifth of them is confirmation of Sifat al-Kalam for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that of his characteristics is the characteristic of Kalam, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, and this is by the saying of Allah, وَكَلِمَتُهُ That Isa is the word of Allah, that means that he was created by speech, 
by speech from Allah kun fayakun. Allah said be and he was. This is the way that he was created. The sixth of them is clarification of the falsehood of the aqidah of Trinity, the belief of Trinity. Uh, this is, yani in this ayat is a clarification or a proof of the falsehood of the belief in Trinity as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said subhanahu ayakuna lahu walid. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is declared to be free and high above and far removed from ascribing to him the need to have a son. Allah has no need while he is the owner of everything in the heavens and the earth. And the last of them is that at tawheed all of it is khair, all of it is good. And the whole of it tawheed in every aspect whether we look at ar-rububiyyah or uluhiyah or asma wa sifat all of it is good and this is based on the saying of Allah intahu khairun lakum. Allah said to them don't say trinity but stop. Stop. Yani stop on at tawheed and this is better for you. The relationship between this ayat and the chapter under discussion that al-ghulu it was the reason or the main reason one of the reasons why the humanity Bani Adam why they uh, went astray why they abandoned the religion and fell into disbelief the relationship between this ayat and that chapter heading is because the reason why the people of the book went outside of their deen it was for the Christians going to the extreme in extolling or any exaggerated praise of Isa led them to raising him up to the status of divinity they made him as a god besides Allah and the reason why they fell out of the deen and fell into kufr it was because of their exaggeration and likewise for the Jews it was in bedindling or rejecting disgracing and accusing Isa of something disgraceful being born out of wedlock when in fact Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored him and raised him up to a high high status. The relationship between this ayat and the topic of a tawheed, it is because this ghulu that they fell into in praising Isa salam, it led them to worshipping him and this is the negation of a tawheed by raising him above the status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has fixed for him. The second of the evidences is also from the Quran the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nuh verse 23 and 24 I think it is chapter 71 the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِهَتَكُمْ and they said meaning the pagan disbelievers in the time of Nuh alayhi salam his people they said to one another advising one another don't abandon don't leave your gods don't abandon them worship them stick to the worship of them and don't abandon them and this was the way of the pagan disbelievers in that time and the way of them today today that they advise one another and they encourage one another to stay on their kufr on their false way on the worship of gods other than Allah even when the people when the Muslims call the disbelievers to Islam their friends would discourage them from coming to Islam and tell them don't abandon your religion as the pagans did to Abu Talib at the time of his death when the Prophet said to him Qul la ilaha illallah they said will you abandon the religion of your ancestors this was the way of the pagan disbelievers to encourage one another to advise one another to hold on to their kufr and their disbelief so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they said وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِهَتَكُمْ وَلَا تَذَرُنَّ وَدًّا وَلَا سُوَاعًا وَلَا يَغُوثًا وَلَا يَعُوكًا 
يعني don't abandon ود ولا سواء ولا يغوث and also يعوق النصرة don't abandon them but stick to them these were the names of some righteous men in the time of Nuh and the people through exaggeration through reverence of them were eventually over a period of time led to worshipping them and they told one another don't abandon the worship of them but stick to it وَقَدْ أَضَلُّ كَثِيرًا and the leaders of the pagan disbelievers they led many people astray by advising them to hold on to the false worship وَلَا تَزِدِ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا ضَلَالًا and don't increase the ظَالِمِين the wrongdoers except in ضَلَالًا يعني in misguidance and astray being astray and in this was because those mushrikeen they were ظالمون in that they put the right that belongs to Allah in other than its place and this is the real meaning of ظلم putting something in other than its place that which belonged to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they gave it to other than Allah and this is ظلم the highest form of ظلم the worst of ظلم it is shirk so these the ظالمون the ظالمون they are the مشركون and he said don't increase them except in going astray because the worship of other than Allah it doesn't lead to anything except misguidance and the Shaykh says here in the explanation <coughs> of this ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us of the condition of the pagan disbelievers and their earnest efforts to worship and to rever those, those idols, the asnam, the false gods that they were believing in. And some of them used to advise others to hold on to the worship of them and to stick to it. And especially those five statues, those five idols that are mentioned in this ayah then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear that those people who were advising one another to hold on to this that they had led many of the people astray and for this reason they are described with zulm with wrongdoing by yani, offering that which belongs to Allah to other than Allah and for this reason it became obligatory on them that they receive punishment and that they remain in the path of misguidance from this First, the Shaykh mentions four points. The first of them is that this ayat is a proof in the time of Nuh that shirk was existent even back in that time, in the earlier nations. It is not something new, but it was in existence from a long time ago, from the time of Nuh salam, one of the earlier prophets. Number two, that these five names that are mentioned in this ayat, they were idols that were worshipped by the people of Noah, by the people of Nuh salam, that they were idols that were worshipped by them and they were advising one another not to abandon them but to hold on to the worship of them the third of them is clarification of the fact that the Ahlul Batil the people of falsehood that they always cooperate with one another and advise one another to hold on to their falsehood and this is the same thing that we find clearly amongst the people of falsehood today the last point that the Sheikh mentions is the permissibility of making supplication against the disbelievers ala sabil al-umum yani to make supplication against the disbelievers in general it is permissible it is permissible to say la'anatullah ala al-kafirin that Allah curse beyond the disbelievers in general but not to say the curse of Allah beyond one specific especially while they are alive because that person may enter into Islam but in general cursing yani make asking Allah's curse to be upon them Allah, it means that the rahmah or the mercy of Allah be far removed from them this is what is permissible and this is what is mentioned in the ayat وَلَا تَزِدْ 
الظالمين إلا ضلالة يعني the ظالمين in general يعني the ظالمون in general is mentioned and this is what is allowed that one may make supplication against the disbelievers in general and this is really the way of the people of Sunnah and many of the scholars mention this uh, this particular point that when one supplicates against the disbelievers the pagans, the wrongdoers it should be general the relationship of this ayah to the chapter it tells that this ayah it, it, is, it has been mentioned uh, in the original book actually here in the Sheikh yani in his way of presenting the explanation of Kitab Tawheed uh, has mentioned the ayat without mention mentioning that which came with it and that which was mentioned in the original text of the book with this ayat is that it was reported in the Sahih here meaning the Sahih of Al-Bukhari Rahimahullah from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with him and his father concerning the saying of Allah yani the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِهَتَكُمْ that Ibn Abbas said concerning this ayat where the pagans used to advise one another not to abandon their gods he said that which is an explanation of this ayat a tafsir of this ayat he said that these were the names of five righteous men from the people of Nuh السلام, Ibn Abbas anhuma, this is a statement that is mawquf is the saying of a sahabi Ibn Abbas anhuma. however hukman its actual ruling is that it is marfur because it, 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 it is a matter of that which is related from the previous nations that wasn't possible for them to know except by revelation يعني, except by that which was revealed to the Prophet So he said these were the names of five righteous men in the time of Nuh and when they were destroyed, يعني, when they died Shaitan he inspired those people to, to make some statues of those five righteous men in their majalis, yani in the places where they used to meet and gather and sit, where they used to meet, to put up some statues in honor of them, yani to remember them and to remember the good deeds they used to do, to inspire the people to do good. Okay? He inspired them to do so and they did it. He inspired them to make these statues in those places where they used to sit and to name them with their names, with the names of those five righteous men. And they did it. فَلَمْ تُعْبَدْ حَتَّى إِذَا حَلَكَ أُولَيْكَ وَنُسِيَ الْعِلْمِ عُبِدَدْ And there Ibn Abbas said and they were not worshipped those statues were not worshipped in that time because those people didn't make them to worship them and it wasn't their intention to make the statues as uh, something to be worshipped but it was only يعني, it was a well-meaning act they meant well but it was الغلو. it was exaggeration in the praise of the righteous. It was going to the extreme. It was going beyond the bounds of what Allah has legislated. Because the making of statues or images of every, any type, whether pictures or whatever, is prohibited in the deen of Allah. So it was gulu, even though they were well-meaning. So he said that those statues were not worshipped until those people in that time who knew the reason for which they made them, until they died. Then the knowledge was forgotten, meaning that the people who had the knowledge of the real reason why these statues were made, those people died. So the knowledge left with them. And the people who came after them didn't know why they, why they were worshipped. And so Shaitan came to them in the later generations and said, Your ancestors, you know, they made these statues to worship them. They used to worship them. They used to call on them. They used to seek intercession from them. They used to ask them to make the rain come when they were in need of rain. So you should do the same. So then they followed in that way and they began to worship them after the knowledge was lost also 
Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, rahimahullah, here mentions a saying of Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he said, <coughs> more than one of the scholars from the Salaf, from the early generation of the Muslims, said that when these people, that when these people died, who made those statues, then their later generations used to go to their graves, used to go to the grave site where they were buried, and they used to uh, stay there and spend time there in reverence of those righteous men, in reverence and respect and honor of them, which is also ghulu, going beyond the bounds, exceeding the limits of what Allah has said. As some of the scholars said, that even, even worshipping, even worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala near the grave with the belief that being near the grave of a righteous person gets you near to Allah this is a bid'ah and it is one of the means, the wasail that lead to shirk it is minor shirk because whatever leads to shirk, to major shirk, it is a minor shirk as we discussed in some of the previous chapters so what they did, they used to go there maybe not necessarily to worship them but to worship near their graves thinking that being near the righteous would get them near to Allah so he said that uh, they used to do this they used to go near their graves in reverence of them and they also made statues of them as shaitan inspired them to do and as time went on and those people died off and the knowledge of the true reason why they were made was forgotten they actually began to worship them this is the statement of Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah um, <clears throat> then the author says the re- relationship between this ayah the relationship between this ayah and the chapter under discussion is that uh, as some of the scholars, and as he mentioned here, Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, some of the scholars of Tafsir mentioned that these were the names of five righteous men in the time of Nuh, when the people went to the extreme in their love of them, in their love of them, uh, and reverence of them, so that when they died, Shaitan inspired to them to make statues of them, uh, so that they would remember them, and the later generations, after the knowledge of why those statues were made, after that knowledge was lost, they began actually to worship them. The, the relationship between this ayah and the hadith of Ibn Abbas or the statement of Ibn Abbas and the topic of Tawheed in general is that this ayah indicates that al-ghulu, yani exaggeration in praise or reverence or honor of the righteous, it is shirk. Yani giving the respect and honor to that extent that belongs to Allah alone to other than Allah is a shirk because the reverence and love it is ibadah if it is the love that belongs to Allah alone it is ibadah so whoever gives that type of love and that type of honor and respect and glorification and exaltation that is the right of Allah alone to other than Allah then it is shirk uh, the third evidence that the Imam mentions Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah it is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which has been reported from Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal la tuturuni 
كما أفرت النصارى ابن مريم. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam clearly prohibited his followers from going to the extreme and praising him. Al-Ifrah, it is excessiveness or exaggeration in praise and lying in that praise. Yani going beyond the bounds and even lying in order to raise someone's status beyond the reality. So the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in protecting and guarding his ummah, he prohibited such. He said, لا تطروني Don't exaggerate in the praise of me. كَمَا أَفْرَطْ النَّصَارَ ابْنِ مَرْيَمْ In the way, or just as the Christians have went to the extreme in praising the son of Maryam, that is Isa alayhi salam. And then he said, to clarify the issue, to make it crystal clear, إِنَّمَا أَنَا عَبْدٌ He said, verily, I am a slave. I am no more than a slave. إِنَّمَا أَنَا عَبْدٌ I am a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَقُولُوا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُهُ Therefore say about me, Describe me with that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described me with. And don't go beyond that. But say, Abdullahi wa Rasuluh. Say, the slave of Allah, the servant of Allah and his messenger. And this is the highest status that can be given to a human being. That is to be described with servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and, and to be his messenger or a prophet. So here the shaykh says concerning this statement of the Prophet ﷺ that he has prohibited in this hadith his ummah from going beyond the bounds in praising him so that they would not be led into raising him up above the status and station that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to him and fixed for him then he made clear that the as-sirat as-sawi, the straight way it is that which it is expected and obligatory for us to describe him with it is al-ubudiyah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala servitude to Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala and al-risala, messengership and this requires of us four things yani acknowledging the ubudiyah and the risala of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. as some of the scholars mention that it consists of four matters it is tasdiq fima akhbara tasdiquhu fima akhbara affirming that which he has informed us of yani Acknowledging the Messenger of Allah as a Prophet and a Messenger, it requires of us to believe in, to affirm the truthfulness of whatever He has informed of us. And obeying Him in whatever He has commanded us. And avoiding whatever He has prohibited us from. And to not worship Allah except by that which He has legislated. So the true affirmation of the Prophethood of Muhammad in his messengership, it is that a person should affirm whatever, should believe in the truthfulness of what he has informed us about, and they should obey whatever he has commanded us, and they should avoid whatever he has prohibited us, and also they should worship Allah only with that which he has legislated, and not outside of that going beyond the bounds. The benefits from this hadith are for the Shaykh says the prohibition of al-ghulu, exaggeration, uh, in the glorification or exaltation of the prophets and messengers and the righteous. Yani that this is prohibited, the prohibition of al-ghulu in reverence and exaltation of the prophets and righteous. The second of them is the attention and concern and care of the prophet in closing the way. Said at the raya, that the prophet took care to close any way to evil or harm to his ummah by telling his people, his ummah in clear words, don't exaggerate in the praise of me 
as the people did to Isa ibn Maryam السلام, before. Number three, the affirmation, the affirmation or confirmation that the exaggeration of the Masara, it was in Isa, yani that indeed they went to the extremes in their praise of Isa as the Prophet وسلم, said, don't do to me as the Christians did to Ibn Maryam السلام, that is Isa and Masih. Number four, the refutation of those who believe that the Prophet وسلم, is more than a Prophet or a Messenger. From amongst the Ummah of Islam, who believe that he is more than that, who describe him with the characteristics of divinity, that he have rights that belong to Allah, that he has authority that is from the authority of Allah, and that he has knowledge of the unseen, and so on. That is only yani, the knowledge that is the right of Allah alone. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter, and yani, the reason for the kufr of the, of the humanity and the abandoning their deen, that it was al-ghulu, this hadith indeed indicates that al-ghulu in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Yani, while he was the most honored of all, cre- of all of the creation, that going to the extreme in praise of the Prophet ﷺ, it would take a person out of his deen, because he said, don't do to me what the Christians did to Isa yeah, don't praise me like they did him, it caused them to abandon their deen and to fall into kufr. And likewise, those who go to the extreme and exaggerate in the praise of the Prophet ﷺ, they may also abandon the deen and fall into kufr. The relationship of this hadith to the topic of at-tawheed is that this hadith indicates that al-ghulu, exaggeration in praise of the creatures, that it might lead to the worship of them. And this is the negation, the worship of anything other than Allah in any way whatsoever, it is negation of at-tawheed. The fourth, the fourth of the evidences that the Shaykh mentions it is the, also a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That hadith that is reported by Imam Ahmed in his Musnad, as well as in Nasa'i, Ibn Khuzayma, Ibn Hibban, and Al Hakam, who said that it was Sahih. Uh, that hadith in which it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Iyakum walghulu, Iyakum walghulu." I warn you against al-ghulu, exaggeration. I warn you against it. I caution you from al-ghulu. He had to caution us because he knew that the people are inclined towards exaggeration, going to the extremes. So he warned us, إِيَّاكُمْ وَالْغُلُوْ فَإِنَّمَا أَحْلَكَ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلُكُمْ الْغُلُوْ That indeed, verily, the very thing which destroyed the people who were before you, it was al-ghulu. The Shaykh says in this hadith, the Prophet has, has warned us, or he has prohibited us from al-ghulu in the deen. That is going beyond the limits that have been set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He warned us from such so that we would not be destroyed as the people of the previous nations were destroyed as they exaggerated and went to the extremes and beyond the bounds in their deen uh, which led to the worship of other than Allah and caused them to go out of iman into kufr. He mentions two benefits from this hadith. The first of them, in this hadith we know that al-ghulu is prohibited. The tahrim, tahrim al-ghulu fi'd-deen. It is something prohibited in our deen, and every one of us should ask ourselves and be careful not to fall into the extreme in any of our matters in our deen, whether in speech or action or in belief. And the second of them is that al-ghulu, from this hadith, we came to know that al-ghulu, it was the cause or the reason for the destruction of the previous nations. And just as the Quran mentions the history of the previous nations to warn the Muslims, the followers of the Prophet Muhammad. 
not to fall into the mistakes of the previous nations. Likewise, the Prophet ﷺ have warned us against Al-Ghulu because it was the cause of the destruction of previous nations and it will be the cause of the destruction of his people also if the people uh, fall into it or engage in it. The relationship between this hadith and the general topic of Tawheed is that this hadith indicates that Al-Ghulu or exaggeration in the deen or in reference to the creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it takes a person outside of the boundaries that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set or the status that Allah has fixed for anyone in his, creature, in his creation. And this, in this way the people, instead of following or adhering to the bounds that Allah has set, they actually began to follow their own desires. They follow their own desires. Instead of sticking to what Allah has set, they do what they want to do, as they feel and as they see fit. And actually following your own desires, yani accepting your own thinking or your own feelings as legalizing something, legislating something, and legislation belongs to Allah alone, then it is a form of shirk and it is a negation of a tawheed. How much time remaining before the adhan? Huh? No, the adhan. Seven minutes? Okay. And the slides are eight o'clock, five, inshallah. But we have to leave at least. Uh, at least 10 minutes before the Iqamah. The last evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah mentions is the hadith reported by Imam Muslim rahimahullah from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal halaka al-mutanatti'oon halaka al-mutanatti'oon the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said the mutanatti'oon those people who go to the extreme in their speech or in their actions and he delve deeply into things, go beyond what is necessary. While Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated for us everything, how it should be done, when it should be done, the manner in which it should be done, and so on. All of it has already been fixed for us, and it is a perfect way of life. We don't need to add to it or take from it, and we shouldn't go outside of the bounds of what Allah has set, thinking that going delving deeply into something or going to the, in, to the extreme in something, that it will be some good in it. In fact, it is the cause of destruction. The Prophet ﷺ said, Halaka al qalaha salatan. He said it three times. He repeated it once, twice, and three times to show the great danger of such. Yani going to the depth or going beyond the bounds in one's speech, especially and in one's action. The Shaykh says in the explanation of this hadith that since the Prophet ﷺ since the Prophet was missioned and sent with a perfect deen, with the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
speak for the people, not for it to be hard. For that reason, the Prophet ﷺ warned his people against delving deeply into things, in all matters, in the deen or otherwise, but especially in delving deeply into the matters of deen, which have been legislated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and, and which have been made clear, the, the boundaries of the matters of deen. They have been restricted, and they have been confined, and they have been made clear. For this reason, the Prophet ﷺ prohibited us to go into the extreme or going beyond the bounds or delving deeply into matters in general and especially in matters of the deen. And he repeated this warning, warning the people against doing so. He repeated it three times so that the companions, they would hear it and they would understand it and they would retain it so that they would pass it on to others so that they would be warned against that which going to the extreme or delving deeply into matters leads to. The Shaykh says there are three points or benefits derived from this hadith. The first of them is the prohibition of a tanatwa, delving deeply into matters, whatever they may be in. The second of them is istihbab ta'akid al-amr al-ham, that it is mustahab, it is beloved, it is commendable, it is recommended that a person affirm the important matters by repeating it, by making it clear, by repetition. And it was from the practice of the Prophet ﷺ that he used to repeat when he used to speak to the people, often he used to repeat what he said so that they would retain it and they would understand it and it would be clear, clear to them. And the third point he said, it is the flexibility and the ease of the deen of Allah Samahat al-Islam wa yusrahu that it is meant to be ease, easy. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, in the deen yusrah that indeed the deen of Allah, it is ease. No one should make hardship on themselves. It is not legislated. Allah doesn't want that. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in one place in the Quran, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ yusra. Allah wants for you ease. That is what Allah wants for you. He wants for you ease. وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَى And Allah does not want for you hardship. So why make hardship on yourself when Allah has made the deen easy for you? And Allah also subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ Allah has not made upon you in this deen any hardship, min haraj. Allah has not made any, any difficulty for you in the deen. So don't make difficulty for yourselves. The relationship between this hadith and the chapter under discussion is that this hadith indicates that tanatta, delving deeply into matters, uh, especially exaltation and exaggeration in praise of the righteous, it is from the causes of destruction of the previous nations and the cause of destruction of the present nations of those who fall into it. The relationship of this hadith to tawheed is like the previous hadith, that exaggeration in the deen, especially in exaggeration and praise and going to the extreme in praise and exaltation of the righteous that it causes a person to go beyond the bounds of what Allah has set and raising a person above the status that Allah has set and this is an indication of a person following their own desires instead of following the will of Allah and this is a means of shirk and it is a negation of a tawheed this is the end of what the shaykh has mentioned here uh, and Likewise, there is remaining in the last moment the uh, Messiah that are mentioned in the original book of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, which is not mentioned in the Sharh. And those Messiah are many, so we will try 
just to mention them quickly uh, in the 10 minutes that are remaining before we go for Salat. Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has mentioned here at the end of this chapter Masail. And those Masail, some of them are similar to what has been mentioned by the, uh, the one who has explained the book here. Uh, some of them are similar to that and some of them are not. In any case, these are the issues that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, has mentioned in the end of this chapter that a person should take note of. These are yani, brief notes that need to be examined and reflected upon and understood. If they are understood, then the chapter and the intention of the author in this chapter will also be understood. The first of them is that whoever understands this chapter and the two chapters which follow it, which we will take, then it will become clear to him the strangeness of Islam. If one understands this chapter, you will see that indeed the real Islam is strange today amongst the Muslims. Because indeed the Muslims have fallen into that which Allah has clearly prohibited and which the Prophet ﷺ has clearly warned against. So that the true Islam, it has become strange to the people. And likewise you also see the power of Allah and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has turned the hearts of the people around when they violated or deviated from what he has legislated. And this is indeed an amazing thing. The second of the issues, it is knowing that the first shirk that took place in the earth, the first shirk that took place in the earth, it was through the shubahat, shubahat al-salihin. And it was through the doubt or the confusion of the people concerning the rights of the righteous and how they should act towards them and yani, the status that they deserve. This first shirk that took place in the earth, it was in the time of Nuh. Before that, the nations before his time were on Tawheed. And it was only when the people exaggerated in the praise of the righteous through the whisperings of Shaitan, setting up statues of their righteous and sticking to their graves, going there to rever them and to respect them and to honor them and show their love for them. It was through this that the people fell into shirk for the first time in the history of humanity. He said, knowing that the first shirk that took place in the earth was due to this the confusion of the people concerning the rights of the righteous. The third issue is knowing that the first thing that changed the deen of the prophets and the reason for it and also knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have sent the prophets and messengers. And yani knowing that the first thing which changed the deen of the prophets it was a shirk. The first thing that changed the deen of the prophets, al-Islam, it was the people falling into shirk and the reason for that it was al-Ghulu over-exaggeration and praise of the righteous. And he's saying, and also knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them, it is related to the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, كَانَ النَّاسِ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً فَبَعَثَ اللَّهِ النَّبِيِّينَ مُبَشِّرِينَ وَمُنْذِرِينَ That the people, they were one ummah. There was no division amongst them. That means they were following one way. Though they may have been different tribes spread throughout the earth, but they were ummatan wahida Because they were all on tawheed up until the time of Nuh and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent amongst them prophets mubashireen wa munzireen to give them the good news for those who obey Allah and worship Him as He has legislated a paradise and to warn those who disobey of the punishment of Allah the fourth issue it is the acceptance qabool al-bid'ah ma qawn al-shara'i wal-fitra taruddhu Yani that the human beings are inclined towards accepting 
Bida, innovation. While the legislation, the Sharia, and as well the nature, the fitra of the human being rejects it. Yani all of the prophets came with a legislation calling to the worship of Allah alone and the rejection of shirk. And even the nature of the human being that Allah created them upon, it also, it is, it has that knowledge in its nature from the very beginning of worshipping Allah alone. As the Prophet ﷺ said, that the people, that they were created on the fitra, yani on tawheed, worshipping Allah alone, and then their parents caused them to deviate, yani made them into Christians or Jews or Magians and so on. So that, uh, indeed, even though the legislation and the nature of the human being rejects innovation and shirk, however, the people are inclined towards accepting it. And yani the people still accepted it. And we find the people accepting it today. The fifth point is that the reason for all of this is the mixing up of truth with falsehood. And yani the mixing up of truth with falsehood is what caused the people to accept bid'ah and to fall into shirk. And there are two matters that have been mentioned in the sharh of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen concerning the mixing up of truth with falsehood. It was in two things. The first of them, it was their love of the salihin. They love the righteous. Okay, that was true. But that love caused them to exaggerate in their praise and reverence of them, and that was falsehood. They mixed truth with falsehood, and they fell into innovation and shirk. And the second of them is that the people of knowledge, Ahlul Ilm Din, that they wanted something good from what they did. Yani they were well-meaning. Their intention was good to set up these statues so that the people would remember these righteous men and follow their example and worship Allah more. But the people who came after them understood something different. So here again, there was mixing up truth with falsehood, yani good intention. Those who, who set it up, they were well-meaning. They wanted an example that the people should follow in good, but in fact it led to the people falling into deviation and worshipping other than Allah. Uh, the sixth of those matters is the explanation of the ayat, that is the ayat of Surah Nuh, yani that they used to, the pagans used to call one another to worship their falsehood and their idols, understanding this ayat, and the benefits from it. The seventh of them is the nature of the human being in that the truth decreases in their heart while falsehood increases. Yani as long as the person allows the truth to escape from them then it will be replaced by falsehood. And that's why some of the scholars of the Salaf they said that as long as a bidah is engaged in a sunnah will be abandoned because there's no place for the two of them. When the sunnah is abandoned, it will be replaced by innovation, bid'ah. And likewise, when the truth is not taken care of, it is not attended to, then falsehood will replace it. Except for those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is upon. Except yani, those whom Allah has blessed and given them the tawfiq to hold on to the truth. The eighth of these matters is that in this, uh, in this discussion, there is a proof or a witness of what has been transmitted from some of the early generation of the Muslims that bid'ah is the cause of kufr yani that bid'ah is one of the major causes or the major cause not the only cause but it is the major cause of kufr and this is hinted at in the statement of the Prophet ﷺ that every innovation is misguidance is astray and every misguidance leads to the hellfire so indeed bid'ah it is a cause of people being led astray and falling into kufr and falling into the fire. And as one of the companions of the Prophet uh, said that Kullu bida dalala wa in nas hatana that every innovation it is misguidance. Even if the people 
in their minds think that it is hasana, even if they think it's good. And we find today, the people of Bidah, they think that their innovations are good. But indeed, even if they think it's good, it is misguidance, as the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said that every innovation is misguidance. The, the ninth of the matters is, Anyway, without much discussion, the ninth of these matters is that shaitan, he knew what innovation leads to. He knew what it would lead to. That's why he tried to get them to innovate. He knows that it would lead to deviation and kufr. Even if they were well-meaning. Even if their intention was a good intention. The tenth matter is knowing al-qa'id al-kulliyya. This comprehensive uh, rule or principle and it is the prohibition of al-ghulu it is a very important principle that exaggeration and going to the extreme is prohibited and also knowing what it leads to that exaggeration leads to kufr number 11 is the harm of al-uquf al-qabr yani the harm of the people attending to the graves or spending time at the graves even to do a righteous deed Yani it led, even though they used to go to the graves of those people, meaning to do something good, to remember Allah by visiting their graves, but in fact, it caused them to go astray. So that, yani adhering or sticking to or spending time, yani going beyond the bounds, visiting the grave in, in a way other than what has been legislated by the Prophet ﷺ, then indeed it leads people astray and it leads to kufr. The eleventh matter is knowing, that the, knowing the prohibition of التماثيل. And the hikmah in removing them. Yani the prohibition of statues. And not only statues, but also the prohibition of all images of living beings, of those which have a soul, as there are innumerable hadith reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim and the other collections of hadith where the Prophet ﷺ warned against making images and possessing them. It is prohibited. In, this, uh, in these proofs, we come to know that it is prohib- prohibited to make these images and likewise, we also know what is the wisdom in removing them in order to prevent the people from going astray and falling into shirk. Number 13 is knowing the greatness of the matter in this story and the severe need to understand this story while the people are unaware of themselves. Yani, knowing this, the matter in this story, understanding it and knowing how important it is, it is, we have a great need for it today. To know what happened to the people of Noah and how they went astray while they were well-meaning and how it led them into kufr. The fourteenth matter, and this is A'ajab. Al-Ajab is the most amazing of matters, is that the people of Bida, they are reading the story of the people of Nuh in the books of Tafsir and in the books of Hadith, and they understand what they are reading, they know what it means, and at the same time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed a screen or a separation between them and their hearts to the extent that they began to believe that the action and the practice of the people of Nuh, that it is the best of acts of worship. Afdal al-ibadat. They began to think that going to the graves and worshipping those righteous in the graves and praying to them and honoring them and revering them and raising their status, they began to think that this was the best of ibadah and we find the Muslims in the world today in almost every country in the earth going to the graves, worshipping the righteous and revering them and exalting them, thinking that this is a great act of worship while indeed it is an act of kufr. Kufr that allows a person's wealth and their lives to be taken and for which they should be killed. The first thing matter is the clarification that they didn't want anything in what they did except a shafa. They wanted to seek intercession from them no more than that but it led to kufr. The seventeenth matter is their thinking that their scholars previously had made these statues 
for this reason, that they would seek intercession from them or help or assistance from them, when in fact they didn't make them for that reason, and there any misunderstanding of this matter led them astray. The seventh matter is clarification, the great clarification in the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, لا تطروني كما أطرت النصارى ابن مريم that the Prophet ﷺ have made clear to us in this statement and he has delivered the clear message of the prohibition of exaggeration in praise of him. The eighteenth matter is his advice to us and warning us of the destruction of those who delve deeply into matters المتنطعين the nineteenth matter is his clarification that those statues were not worshipped until the knowledge was lost that is until the people had the knowledge of the true reason why they were made until they died off and in this is a clarification of the great value of knowledge and the harm that comes to the people in the absence of knowledge and the last matter is that the reason why the knowledge was lost is that the scholars died and we also know that this is what the Prophet ﷺ predicted that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would take away the knowledge and the taking of the knowledge would not be by taking the knowledge out of the hearts of the scholars, but it would be by the death of the scholars. And as we see the great scholars of today passing away, rahimahumullah, we know that the knowledge is also passing away with them, and this is a danger to us, and we should be careful that the absence of knowledge, it is the great, one of the greatest causes of the people being led astray and falling into kufr. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta staghfiruka wa tubu ilayk. And because of the lack of time, there's no chance to read the questions. But anyway, on the back of the handout, there are questions and you should read them and try to answer them. If anybody has one question of importance, something that's not clear, or clarification or correction, uh, perhaps one question. Then we can go to the salat. Inshallah.